Welcome to the IIF Global Regulatory Update Podcast. I'm Martin Boer, Senior Director of Regulatory Affairs at the Institute of International Finance in Washington, D.C. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by my good friend Jason Harrell, who is Managing Director and Head of External Engagement at DTCC in New York, where he leads the firm's global advocacy and engagement for cybersecurity and cyber resilience, new and emerging technology, and outsourcing third-party risk management. For those of you who don't know DTCC, it is a significant post-trade financial services company providing clearing and settlement services to the financial markets. It performs the exchange of securities on behalf of buyers and sellers and functions as a central securities depository by providing central custody of securities. In this podcast, Jason and I are going to be discussing third-party risk management, an area where Jason is very active including in IIF initiatives around operational resilience, cybersecurity, and third parties and outsourcing. Jason, it's great to have you back on the pod. Great to hear you. Great to see you. I hope that all is well with you. Great to be here. And thank you again for having me. This is an excellent opportunity to talk about a topic I think that is going to draw some attention over the next three to five years. So happy to be here to discuss that. As you say, third-party risk has recently become a hot topic, and including for standard setters like the Financial Stability Board and national authorities, including here in the U.S., but it's been around ever since it was a financial system, right? So what do you think has precipitated the recent interest in third-party risk? Is it the prevalence of the cloud or the expansion of fintechs, uh, increase in cyber attacks, or financial stability concerns in general, given the recent uptake of technology? I mean, I think that there are several reasons for the focus on third-party risk. First, there's an obvious change in the threat landscape. Cyber intrusions such as Kaseya and SolarWinds have demonstrated that the best way to infiltrate numerous organizations is through compromising a provider that numerous organizations use in their networks. I think that the second way is that financial services are being provided in a different manner. New market entrants such as fintech and big tech are changing the way that consumers are engaging financial services and products. And in order to compete with these companies, provide services in a manner that the customers want and to deliver more innovative market solutions that the financial institutions have to adapt. This may require partnerships with firms to gain quicker access and time to market. So that is also increasing the number of third parties that financial institutions are using. And then last, but certainly not least, is market stability concerns. And that has led to enhanced focus on the resilience of financial services. For financial services and products to be reliable and secure, it isn't enough for the financial institution itself to be resilient. That resilience must extend through the third parties and the supply chain. So you take all of these elements that are happening with the threat landscape, new entrance of fintech and big tech, and the market stability concerns that stem from that. And here we are trying to find the best way to raise the bar. So a lot of factors, it sounds like, from both a regulator and from a private sector perspective. When you're developing a firm like yours, your overall resilience framework and strategies, where does the treatment of third parties fit into that? So I think like many financial institutions, the first stop is just measuring the criticality of the third party. We usually do this through a questionnaire. 
based on that criticality, we determine the artifacts needed to gain a reasonable level of assurance that the third party has the governance and the programs necessary to manage the risks in line with the impact that it could create to our organization if they were unavailable. This could be done through third-party audit reports, industry certifications, online assessments, questionnaires, meetings. And then once we do that, risks are identified and raised and decisions are made by the business areas regarding these risks. But while these measures have been sufficient for a decade or so, financial institutions and financial authorities are working to develop a framework for understanding if all of these risk measures provide a high level of resilience, and then just as important, how do we actually measure that? So if an institution has strong governance and risks are raised through the management levels, you have a business continuity plan, you have a cyber risk management strategy, does that mean that you can restore services within hours or days? You know, how many or what type of risk measures are needed within the organization to gain that level of assurance? I can imagine it gets quite complex because DTCC is both a significant third party to the largest financial institutions in the world, but you also work with many third parties yourself. So where are the trade-offs when it comes to relying on third parties for the management of risk and deciding what risks need to be managed internally? So first, I want to say that No matter what the financial institution is, we are accountable for managing the risk to our products and services, regardless if they're being operated in-house or at a third party. So any decision to use a third party has to be made with a certain level of confidence that the third party can provide the service with equivalent level of risk management as the financial institution. That being said, I think that there's three primary trade-offs. I think the first one is governance and control. For services that are maintained in-house, the financial institution has greater control of the day-to-day risk management of that product or service. Also, the organization has greater visibility into the risks, and the risks are being managed through a consistent risk framework. Risk can be framed in the context of other organizational risks, and for this reason, many of the services that have a material impact to financial stability are retained within the organization. Retaining these services also eases the ability of the financial institution to demonstrate compliance to its financial authorities. I think the second trade-off is resource availability. There is a scarcity of cyber talent. I think this has been well-documented over the years. But as a result, the competition for that talent creates have and have-nots for this talent. So the ability to outsource a function to a third party presents an opportunity for the financial institution to access technology and services that it may not otherwise be able to obtain. For example, threat-led penetration testing is a highly specialized skill set that may need to be outsourced in order to be able to conduct it. And then the third trade-off is just technology availability. New and emerging technology has provided new and innovative solutions to the financial markets. And it's important that incumbent financial institutions harness this technology in order to compete with the changing competitive landscape, as we mentioned before, with the fintechs. But at times, trying to integrate these new technology solutions with the existing technology that are within these financial institutions 
presents challenges. So partnerships with third parties may provide access to technology that can't be supported internally. Thank you for stressing the importance that each organization is ultimately responsible for their own risk. I think that's a really good point, and that's worth repeating. Obviously, regulators, policymakers are also looking at these risks, but from a financial sector-wide perspective. And the financial system is a global one, Jason, obviously. And we increasingly see fragmentation being introduced across jurisdictions in how they look at third-party risk. So to what extent do you see this as a problem, as an issue? And in what areas do you think standard setters like the Financial Stability Board and IOSCO should be prioritizing to ensure consistency and collaboration? So I believe the root of many challenges that we're experiencing in the policy space are rooted in definitions. There are different definitions for third party and outsourcing, and therefore the rules that apply to each of these is different across jurisdictions. This creates unequal treatment of third parties across these jurisdictions. Second, we're starting to see new proposals that are combining the requirements of intergroup providers, which are services that different legal entities of the same organization provide to each other in the context of the institutional protection scheme. So say I'm a parent organization and I provide services to an affiliate, that would be an example of an intergroup provider. And they're conflating that with external third parties. So by doing that, requirements such as exit strategies and concentration risk considerations would extend by rule to include intergroup providers. Intergroup services provide many benefits, including common governance model, efficient use of the financial institution's personnel, and simplified IT implementation. Further, exiting services provided by a parent organization could actually decrease resilience in many cases. So without fully understanding the different risk profiles between different third-party relationships, whether that be intergroup, external regulated third-party, external unregulated third-party, partnerships, uh, and the like, there's a risk that threats to the financial markets are not being managed in the most efficient manner. I believe that bodies like the Financial Stability Board and the International Organization of Securities Commission, or IOSCO, could actually work with the private sector to set up definitions that are consistently used across this space. I also believe that they can work together with the private sector to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the different types of third parties and develop principles that should govern the management of each of these variations. And then I think that will help create a more cohesive regulatory framework and scheme across the globe. That's excellent feedback, Jason. We know that both the FSB and IOSCO are looking at this topic and are likely to come out with best practices or principles for supervisors to use and perhaps for the industry as well. So having common definitions, as you say, and a better cooperation across jurisdictions would be super helpful there. So we'll have to watch that space. And I'd love to have you back in a couple of months to see where that lands. But let me ask you, while you're still here with us now, um, are there any effective practices that you think are particularly pertinent for institutions who are still building up their third-party risk management approaches? So they're like in an earlier stage in trying to understand how the third-party risks work. Are there any effective practices that you can share with us that you think might be helpful for those sorts of firms? 
Absolutely. And, and I'll just go back real quickly. The G7 Cybersecurity Experts Group is also looking at this space and looking to put out a white paper or update its principles in this area. So again, there's a lot of focus here. We just need to make sure that all of this focus is coordinated so that we don't get disparate guidances coming out of the different working groups in this space. Well said, well said. <laughs> so yeah, that I think that that's very important. As far as effective practices, I guess I have three of them, which could apply to either those that are you know beginning to look at their third-party relationships in this space, and then based on some of the changing and new regulation that's coming out, some of the things that firms who have existing programs may actually be able to benefit from as well. First, if you're just starting out, you need to create a golden source inventory of your third-party relationships and identify any supervisory requirements for this inventory. I know organizations like the European Banking Authority have specific information that they want to see in that inventory. So just collecting the contractual relationships, getting those managed appropriately, it's a large body of work, especially if you haven't had any real inventory, but it's something that you're going to have to do in, in this new landscape. Secondly, you'll have to identify your critical third parties. You need to review the frameworks in place to understand the risks that those third parties present, and then identify any gaps in the application of controls to manage these risks. A lot of the supervisory rulemaking in this space is applying to the critical third parties. So being able to just understand what they are and how you're managing those relationships and showing some level of control for those relationships is highly important. And then for financial institutions that have existing programs and that they've been running for a while, what I will say to them is you need to examine the processes and controls for your intergroup relationships not just your relationships with your external third parties. We're going to have to make certain that the procedures are developed and that there's a program for managing and measuring the performance of these intergroup contracts. While there are a number of benefits to intergroup relationships, I believe that as financial institutions, we'll need to demonstrate how the management and the execution of these relationships is different than the challenges that you find with managing those same relationships that are external to the organization. And the sooner that we start really understanding that and being able to demonstrate that, I think that will reap benefits for informing the new supervisory frameworks that are going to be put in place in this space. That's great, Jason. That's super helpful. So making an inventory of your third-party relations and supervisory expectations identifying which of those parties are the most critical and where are the gaps, and then not forgetting about your intergroup relationships, your intergroup partners and programs that you have in place. So that's excellent, excellent advice for our listeners. We are unfortunately out of time. It's always a great pleasure talking with you. We could go on much longer, but I want to thank you, Jason, for sharing your insights. Always happy to have you back on. I very much enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to hopefully seeing you again in person once things normalize. Wonderful being on and wonderful seeing you again. Same here. We thank everyone for listening to this podcast and we hope that you all stay safe and healthy. 
please consider subscribing to the IF Global Regulatory Updates on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.